Welcome to the Content Podcast, conversations with Silicon Valley's creatives. I'm Daniel Garcia, your host and the cultivator of Content Magazine, published by SV Creates. Hello, this is Karen. Today we talk with Karen Kinzel. She's the director of the Palo Alto Art Center. Hey, Karen, this is Daniel. Thank you for taking time to be on the podcast. Yes, I'm delighted to be here. Thank you. Yeah. And I actually, I'm not sure if we've actually met each other in person. I did troll a little bit online, of course, to get some backstory on you. Um, and, but you do look very familiar. So I'm sure we have ran in similar circles throughout the arts world. Yes. Yeah. I've been yeah. in Silicon Valley for many, many years. How many years is many? Oh, goodness. Well, I mean, I actually grew up in Palo Alto, so it's really quite remarkable that I'm working in the city that I grew up in. Um, I did uh, go to college in UC Berkeley and San Francisco State, but most of my career has been in Santa Clara County. Yeah, because you were at the Museum of, in San Jose, the Museum of Art. I was. And then also at Santa Clara. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's and for most of your career, you have been involved in kind of curation and museum work. I'm really curious what got the bug to in order to move into that realm of kind of like the arts world. Yes. How did that come to be? Yes. Um, so actually, the strongest predictor of whether you go to a museum as an adult is if you went to a museum as a child. Um, oh. So uh, my family, actually, uh, we lived in Alexandria, Virginia for um, a few years growing up. And uh, when I was growing up and uh, we went to the museums in Washington, D.C. every weekend. Wow. Yeah. And I, I tell a story about going to the National Portrait Gallery and just seeing walls and walls of old white men on the walls yeah. and then seeing America Sot painting yeah. a little girl yeah. um, and seeing myself represented in that image and, and, and how profound that was for me. I became obsessed with Mary Cassatt. I was actually Mary Cassatt for Halloween in fourth grade. Um, <laughs> in fifth grade, you said? Fourth grade. Oh, fourth. Wow, that's even earlier. Wow. I know, right? Yeah. My yeah. brother was a magician and I was Mary Cassatt. So I would have to explain to my friends that I was a, an American impressionist artist. Um, wow, but yeah. Me, that's, that's you know, it's that, you know, the importance of being able to see yourself represented in a museum and how profound that is. Um, and I have become a really intense museum geek as a result. <laughs> yeah, that's incredible that in fourth grade that you would dress up like an impression artist. I mean, I don't think it, when I was in the fourth grade, I had put together, um, you know what I mean? Like artists in that kind of way. So that's pretty incredible. So now did you, do you have your own art practice or have you always been kind of more in kind of the curation and the appreciation um, aspect of it? Definitely. Um, I I have at various points had an artistic practice right now. Um, everything is kind of channeled into my professional and volunteer life. Um, and, you know, I, I, I think when I was working as a curator, that was a little bit more of a a creative practice. And when I uh, became a director, I, I told many of my friends and colleagues and were told that I was moving to the dark side of administration <laughs> and management. But I actually do feel that um, uh, running an art center, engaging with the community, coordinating with staff is actually a really kind of creative practice. Oh, um, yeah. I, I really, I do feel that way. And um and I feel like, I mean, certainly right now, I mean, everything we're doing is about thinking in new ways and trying to yeah. get paid and be creative. Well, that's the thing. I think, you know, that is true. I mean, like so many times people think of artistic or creative means you have to paint or something mm-hmm. like that. But if you're an accountant, you're creative with numbers. If you're, you know what I mean? That idea of innovation, creation, thinking outside the box and developing can, goes across from being a chef to photography, to music, to even um, arts administration. Yeah. Agreed. Yes. Yeah. So when do you, th- when then did you really uh, kind of move to that, uh, what do you call like you're telling people you went to the dark side? What, uh, when was it like you said, like, yeah, this is really like my 
calling or purpose or direction I, I want to go in. Yeah. So um, I've always loved museums and again, you know, went to museums mm-hmm. as a child, decided I wanted to get my undergraduate degree in art history um, and wasn't quite clear what I wanted to do with that. It was actually after my bachelor's degree that I got really excited about museum studies and went through the program at San Francisco State University and became very com- committed to working in a museum mm-hmm. um, and really feeling like I wanted to contribute there. And um and also really excited about a whole kind of trend called the new museology, which was really about thinking about museums in different ways, um, a greater sense of relevance, community engagement. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I feel like uh, museums have a lot of work to do, but I mm-hmm. continue to love them. And I'm invested in us doing the work to make museums better. Um, yeah. So There's a lot we have to do. Yeah. So when you started out doing art history, were you kind of thinking maybe you'd be like a teacher or a professor or something on those lines? And then the museum kind of came came out through your studies and stuff? Yeah. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about the the new museumization. Is that what you called it? What's the new museology? Museology, uh, yeah, yes, yeah. yeah. So really rethinking museums, and and so of course, you know, the new museology actually came out of the UK probably a decade before Nina Simon's book, um, uh, the Participatory Museum, which of mm-hmm. course has been like a really important uh, text to really. Yeah get museum people to think differently. Um, And it's really about, you know, ensuring that museums are, there's a great Stephen Weil quote, instead of about something for someone. Cool. Awesome. So really thinking about how we engage with our community. Um, And increasingly now it's about, uh, do we represent the community in our programming and our collections with our staff? Um, And really working to ensure a kind of porous, transparent kind of relationship with the community. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I guess that's probably why, I mean, working for the city of Palo Alto, for the Palo Alto Arts Center, that's much more of a community participatory engagement than necessarily even a museum is in our traditional view of museum, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, we are non-collecting, which is kind of amazingly liberating. (laughs) I've worked (laughs) at collecting organizations before and museum collections are really, uh, are really important and kind of critical. Um, But I feel like not having a collection has really liberated us. Um, There's a lot of interesting stuff actually happening around museum permanent collections right now um, in terms of the accessioning, in terms of, uh, oh, that's my cat. Oh, that's okay. No problem. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so I'm talking and so he thinks I'm talking to him. He wants to get in on the conversation. Uh-huh. Yeah. He's, yeah. He... <laughs> so, um, yeah. So what do you, what's the, what's the liberating aspect then of, um, not, um, you know, collecting what, what would you say? What's the thing that you feel the most? Well, I think that, um, our identity, uh, our kind of curatorial philosophy, our programmatic identity can change. Um, when you have a collection, it tends to, um, define who you are as an institution, um, in terms of what you might program and what you might show and not having that is, is again, um, really quite, uh, beneficial. Also, you know, collections Hmm. are really expensive. Um, they're collected, they're expensive in terms of storage and in terms of staffing, um, and not having those expenses are also liberating. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So, um, and I would think, I mean, since, you know, the art center is from the city, therefore it's mm-hmm. supported somewhat with taxpayers' funds, mm-hmm. not that museums don't get, you know, uh, private funds and public funds and stuff like that too, but um, that means, you know, I guess the whole role of what you're doing is really engaging, inspiring, and maybe uh, amplifying the voices there within Palo Alto. Is that kind of the role that the Art Center plays? 
Yes. Um, and so uh, the Art Center was actually started in 1971. Um, and it was really started by the community and for the community. So our kind okay. of founding story uh, is that um, we're in the former city hall building for the city of Palo Alto. And um, uh, the the city basically outgrew the building and started to look at other locations for city hall and identified a location and a building um, in downtown Palo Alto. And so there was mm-hmm. the city hall former city hall building that was available. And there were a lot of community proposals around what to do with that building. And ultimately, it was a really dedicated group of community volunteers who lobbied intensively to turn it into an art center. And so we opened in 1971. And I tell this story that's like, I love it so much. When we (laughs) opened, we had a card catalog that had little cards for like community members who were artists or if someone had an interesting collection. And so you could basically kind of go through those cards to find someone in the community um, who had a similar interest or who was an artist who had a particular, uh, who had a particular um, uh, kind of artistic technique. So, um, so again, this notion of kind of a community art center coming out of, you know, it's very interesting too, I think in the area, so many institutions were started in the early 70s. Um, So, so many museums, um, art centers, community uh, theaters were started in the late 60s, early 70s. And so I think there's this, this it's a testament to like collective action and everyone getting together to make a difference in the community. Um, And so uh, this is the first municipal uh, position that I've had. And Okay. It's been incredibly rewarding. Um, yeah. We are uh, city supported, but we also have a 501c3 nonprofit that supports us in fundraising and advocacy, the Palo yeah. Alto Arts Center Foundation. So we essentially operate yeah. as a public-private partnership. In the yeah, that's awesome. Um, yeah. So so then, and, and your role as the director, I mean, you're not only overseeing the vision, but the budget, the staff, and the foundation, as well as the center, correct? Yes. That's a lot of hats to wear. It is indeed. It is. Um, it is. Um, and I will say that, you know, Palo Alto is in a really, is a really engaged community and it's a community that really cares about community resources like parks. I mean, like the art center, we have a children's theater, we have a junior museum and zoo. Um, yeah. I talk about Palo Alto being this incredible place to live, to work, to grow up and to visit um, because yeah. of all of these incredible community resources that the community really is invested in. So the fact that we have the support of the community um, from a public perspective, but then we also have the individual philanthropic support of the community makes us incredibly strong as an organization. Yeah, that's awesome. That's that's great. So then, then that comes to then with that incredible support and resources. I mean, Palo Alto is heavy in resources, and now hearing just about the community want to be involved in the arts. Um, what is the vision that you're kind of trying to cast for the Palo Alto Arts Center? What's the the direction or the voice, if you will, that, um, I mean, you're at the helm, right? So you get to do it all yourself. You may, <laughs> no. We have an extraordinary team, an extraordinary team yeah. of staff and board members and volunteers who help, um, who help make everything happen. Sure. But what for you, yeah. um, and I don't, I don't mean sure, like I'm downplaying yeah. that. I'm saying, of course, everybody's works together yeah. as a team. But um, for you, what do you see the vision for Palo Alto Arts Center? What's the direction you want to move in? Yeah. So, you know, we're approaching our 50th anniversary as an organization. So there's oh, yeah. like a sense of like gravitas and kind yeah. of maturity in that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we did a whole strategic planning process uh, before COVID. And and the vision is really how we integrate art into daily life. Um, mm-hmm. How do we make art an essential aspect of daily life. Um, The Art Center is an incredibly accessible facility. Um, It's one of the things I've always loved about it. We're right next to the library. There's there's a a writer who talks about the fact that um, when we're all in elementary school, we typically go to the library we learn yeah. <laughs> what a library is. We learn how to use a library, but there's yeah. no kind of analogous experience for a museum. 
So we don't necessarily yeah. know that museums are there for us, that they are often free, that there are opportunities for kind of learning and uh, for leisure. Um, and so the, just the fact that we're like, we almost seem like an extension in some ways off the library. Um, mm. So mm. we're incredibly accessible. We offer programs for all ages. Um, and so this idea of really integrating the art center as a critical aspect to everyday life is is where we would love to go. Okay, so um, integrating just in everyday life. So art for art, let's say even more than art, like expression, would you say? Sure, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so the the vision is to kind of uh, help the whole community engage and yep. participate in their expression. So what role do you see um, art in general um, playing within a community? How does it how does it help the strength and health of a community? So, I mean, I feel really strongly that the community <laughs> needs art to be whole, right? I believe yeah. in um, in museums being, you know, economic catalysts, um, uh, yeah. you know, critical uh, aspects to actually drawing people into a community. And, um, you know, we hear again and again from residents about how lucky they are to live in a community that has a place like the Palo Alto Art Center. I mean, that's kind of very, very resident. Yeah. Um, uh, so, I mean, I... I mean, right now during COVID, I mean, I, I feel like I keep talking about the fact that art helps. It really yeah. helps. I mean, um, you're likely aware of the the COVID-19 study that um, La Placa Cohen did. And I'm sorry, that's my cat, Dante. <laughs> Dante, oh, um, great name. So, uh, so La Placa Cohen did a big study about uh, kind of arts and culture engagement during COVID. And 81% of participants said that they were doing something creative during yeah. Yeah. And that wasn't necessarily drawing, you know, it could have been cooking, um, it could yeah. have been um, listening to music or making music. And increasingly, there's an understanding that arts engagement is really expansive. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be a kind of traditional artistic practice. Um, but I think that was really important. 81% of people yeah. from the yeah. survey were felt that they needed to do something creative during this very challenging time. And I feel, um, you know, I've been doing presentations in the community talking about how art helps. I truly believe that. Um, we yeah. see it every day at the Art Center. So we, we had to close yesterday along with every other yeah. museum in Santa Clara County, which was very sad. And we can talk about that if <laughs> right. you want to talk yeah. about that. But, um, you know, we have been offering classes outdoors for adults and yeah. children. And so we hear again and again from parents whose kids are on computers all day, who are completely zoomed out, that right. having the experience of a hands-on class in person is transformational. Yeah. Uh, for our adult studio participants, their ability to participate in classes um, we're doing a curbside program. We have a pottery wheel rental program, and then awesome. we have outdoor classes. It's a sense of normalcy. It's an opportunity to connect with other people, um, albeit socially distanced. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's an opportunity to kind of be connected with the community. Um, it's an opportunity to express yourself, um, to escape. I mean, that's also, yeah. I think, a really important thing that art is providing right now, just a diversion for people. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so interesting. I always, I think that in some ways, I think formalized, you know, museums and galleries in some ways um, have hindered the understanding of what art is, yeah. because if you leave someone alone, they're going to do something creative, right? I mean, it's just a natural flow of who we are. I mean, people play the guitar or something to, because they want to sing and express themselves and that's an art form, but they may not think of themselves like an artist and that, you know, or you pick up a stick and you start whittling it or you make furniture, yeah. you know, it's so much yeah. the expression of who we are. And so yes. I guess you're helping in that, bring that to a community, right? Like, yeah. Hey, uh, you know, explore your inner, <laughs> Artist, indeed, and you know, I hear all the time. Oh, you know, I'm not an artist, or you know, right. I, I I can't draw. I'm not an artist, and and it's it's so 
sad to hear people say that because, I mean, ultimately, um, you know, we believe in the fact that everyone is an artist ultimately. And, you know, Picasso had a quote about, you know, every child is an artist, the challenge is staying an artist as you grow up. And unfortunately, it's like our educational systems that told kids that they couldn't draw and therefore they're not an artist or they were told that they couldn't survive as an artist. And so therefore they're, um, you know, they kind of squashed that part of themselves. So, um, you know, we really want to create opportunities for everyone to feel like they can participate in creativity. Yeah. So when you were doing art yourself of some sort, other than um, kind of helping build an art community, what was your kind of like uh, medium and, and style that you were working in? I took ceramics classes at the art center. Oh, okay. uh, The ceramics um, have, I mean, I really, I totally um, appreciate the fact that, and I should say that, you know, before COVID, even now during COVID, I mean, the, the, the ceramics classes we offer are some of the most popular classes and yeah. And I think that that's a direct response to people feeling digitally oversaturated and sure. they're being really satisfying about working with clay. It's really tactile. Um, uh, it's a, um, yeah, it's just a really, really satisfying creative process. Yeah. So that's what, that's what you really enjoy yeah. it even to this yes. day is kind of, yeah. Um, so do you, I mean, now that, I mean, I'm working at home, do you have yourself a, your nice big tea or coffee cup that you've made yourself? Or <laughs> I have you... some pieces in my house that I have made for sure, but um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm actually not not drinking out of them. Okay, are they more vases, vases that you've made or something yeah, like that? Yeah, or? yeah, and, and you know, and, and they're they're in various parts of the house. So I was you know really interested in kind of experimenting with kind of surface design. There's actually like one of the one of the like this is random, but one of the yeah. TV shows that I'm actually currently kind of obsessed with it's a great um throwdown it's a british um ceramic competition oh oh okay yeah it's amazing so it's all of the all of the great things about the great british baking show in terms of like lack of drama creative process interesting challenges but it's all clay um it's pretty great it's on hbo (laughs) yeah that's cool have you ever done like figures or anything with um, doing with clay rather than just kind of like on the wheel, you know? Uh, yeah, no. I mean, I usually I'm kind of wheel with hand building. I'm not mm-hmm. figurative sculpture, but I know yeah. that there are some great artists that do amazing figurative sculpture and clay. Yeah, yeah. That's my thing. That's incredible. Cool. So um, as far as then... Um, Okay, I gotta get back on track because I started thinking about the clay stuff. <laughs> get lost. I'm gonna edit this all out. Um, so uh, yeah, I just want to talk about a little bit about some of the. Well, let's go this. So then, for you, what? So you, you know, kind of the clay, that tactile kind of feeling. But what else do you kind of do, especially in this time, to kind of take care of yourself? I mean, you have a. That's a pretty. You have a. You know, a team that you're working with, a community. You. You're a city organization, government organization. So you got the pressures of that kind of stigma (laughs) of the government. What, what does Karen do to kind of your own, take care of your soul? Yeah. Um, well, I, um, I should also mention as you, as you probably have seen, if you've, if you've looked me up online, I also teach part-time. And so while that has been like another stress in some way, it actually has been a a consistent, um, Hmm. a a consistent opportunity to kind of revive. Um, so I love working with students. I teach in the museum studies program at San Francisco state. Yeah, and we're teaching online on Zoom, which has its challenges. Um, but you know, I think that um, that has been a really valuable, ongoing kind of practice. Um, yeah. And I also feel like it's a little creative, and and uh, you know, having the opportunity to to engage a whole group of emerging museum professionals in a field yeah. that is a really important and valuable field. You know, when when we had class and uh, the election had not yet been determined, you know, I said the same thing to my students as I said to the Art Center staff that I feel really strongly that there is an opportunity for museums right now. 
Mm-hmm. And I don't know what that is, but I feel like there is um, there is such division right now in this country and so many yeah. concerns about uh, lack of empathy and um, kind of distrust of critical thinking. Museums yeah. can play a really important role. And I don't know what it is, and I might not have the answer, <laughs> but my students will probably have the answer. And I will yeah. also say that like my students are entering like the worst museum job market that I think has ever existed. Um, Layoffs have been significant. You know, there was a study that came out a few months ago that indicated that a third of museums could close permanently by the end of this year. Um, It's bad. And so uh, trying to kind of help them find their way is actually a really kind of valuable and rewarding process for me. Yeah. yeah. So that I also volunteer at a museum organization, the California Association of Museums, that has been doing some active advocacy work to try to encourage the state to allow museums to actually open in the purple tier. Um, because oh, yeah. as you may know, uh, shopping malls are open, commercial galleries right. are open, but museums aren't. Um, yeah. So that has also been really rewarding. So yeah, that's kind of yeah. part of the kind of, it's like a little bit of professional self-care, but it's very different from the job that I do on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, I'm a huge fan of self-care. And so, um, you know, having a yoga practice, being able to exercise every day. I also have really found that like cooking is really meaningful right now. So being able to yeah. like cook healthy food and to share that food with people and, um, yeah been uh, really kind of it's taken on this like symbolic importance in a way that it never has before I think with this tremendous emphasis on health and and also like you know the fact that we're all sequestered and and yeah uh, this uh yeah it, that, so that's been kind of increasingly important I have a great what's, your, what's here, by the way. yeah what's your, yeah what's your what's your go-to dish that you make what's <laughs> So, um, so I have a, I, I, you know, I have a CSA box that I get oh, yeah. great. And so that's also been like a really wonderful source of creativity during uh shelter in place because I, I yeah. don't necessarily know what I'm going to get. Yeah. Cause it shows, it shows up with a turnip and a, yeah, turnips, yeah, and, a and mushrooms and you're like, what do I make out of this? Exactly. <laughs> so, so there consistently has been these like beautiful, like rainbow charts. And so I do a really nice, yeah. um, I do a really nice polenta, cheddar polenta with oh, a nice. chard and then like salmon and a and an egg on top. Yeah. But I'm a, oh. I'm a, an ovo lacto pescatarian, so no land animals. Okay, yeah. That sounds delicious, Plenty. Oh yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um so then um what is it that you find kind of what is the aspect of teaching, you know, what what aspect of that do you find most rewarding? Is it the yeah, I won't say. I won't give any clues. Yeah, I mean, I think it's the relationship with students and yeah. and the opportunity to maybe um, provide or encourage them to kind of see a perspective around museums that they weren't aware of before. Um, you know, right now I'm teaching a fundraising class, so you know my goal is to encourage the students to think about fundraising as a creative practice and a really meaningful practice because people are afraid of fundraising. They're petrified of fundraising. You know, the very first class I ask, you know, what is fundraising and how do we feel about it? And, you know, people have a lot of intense emotions around fundraising and usually they're negative. And so, uh, you know, my goal is by the end of the class to be able to have at least one student who might be interested in pursuing fundraising you know, one of the things that's a reality in the field is that um, the students that I've had over the years who've actually moved into fundraising careers, um, they, they're they employed and they're actually yeah. a few years out of graduate school. They're in senior positions and um, in, and they're, they find that their careers are really rewarding. Um, yeah. So, um, and so that's another thing that I think is really valuable. If I can encourage students to see that fundraising is actually kind of a critical aspect to what we do in, in the nonprofit sector and in the museum sector, and to really yeah. understand that it's actually incredibly meaningful if you're, you know, if you're working in the right institution that has values that mirror your own, being right. able to engage people in that is is really, really amazing. What would be one uh, nugget or uh, point, just a, like a little catchphrase of 
fundraising or like, you know what I mean? Like a little nugget yeah. you would want to give people. Yeah. I mean, I, I really think it's about fundraising. Um, I really think it's about engaging people in your institution. And that is, uh, that's easy to do if you work for an institution that's doing great things. And yeah. hopefully you are. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. and hopefully you believe in the work of that institution. And if you do, it's really easy to engage people around it. And that's all fundraising is. Yeah. So it's basically, it's just inviting people to participate really on a different yes. level. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, awesome. so much of what we do in contemporary museums is collaborative. And so we're always working with other people to kind of achieve our vision. And yeah. whether that's working with artists to engage the community in an exhibition, or it's engaging with donors to bring in an artist that we wouldn't be able to without their support. Yeah. Um, so when I think of, you know, like kind of like the movement that's going on with art and you know, community building, just kind of, um, you know, the the more kind of like, uh, I think, expansion of awareness of kind of inequities and injustice that's going on. Um, how do you see the Palo Alto Art Center um, speaking and moving in that place? And I don't, you know. Yeah. I'm I'm a San Joseian, so and yeah. I love Palo Alto. But of course it's it's a it's definitely a different demographic than San Jose mm -hmm. <laughs> in some ways. Yeah. So when I think of Palo Alto, I do get a stereotype. So what is the ways that Palo Alto and that you're kind of leading in that conversation of what justice and equity would look like for that region? Yes. Um, well, I mean, we definitely see ourselves as part of a larger ecosystem and we see ourselves as having a responsibility to help to diversify the museum field as a whole. Um, yeah. So we launched a program um, that was generously funded by the Institute of Museum and Library Services that um, continues. It's going to continue for a couple more years that has allowed us to pay all of our interns. Um, yeah. And this is a program that actually um, engages diverse youth, um, mm. diverse in ethnicity and also ability level uh, to yeah. work with us as interns and to be able to pay our interns so that um, for those uh, interns who don't have a safety net, they can actually they can actually participate and hopefully we can um, we can engage them, create a positive experience so that they want to continue to pursue careers in the museum field. Um, so that's yeah. one piece. Um, the other piece is in terms of programming. So um, we are uh, we we closed an exhibition. Um, we had to close our, our exhibition that was focused on trees and contemporary art early, um, unfortunately yeah. due to COVID and shelter in place. But that exhibition included a series of work by Azuzana Hernandez, um, who um, created a series called the Ember Series. They're wood-burned portraits on awesome. like wood slices of individuals who were killed due to police violence, people of mm. color. The really extraordinary pieces that are really moving because, you know, the, the trees are, the rings of the trees are signifying years of life and the idea right. that these individuals' lives were cut short and the pieces are really about memorial. We were able to organize a conversation with Azuzana over the summer um, when it was clear that we were not going to be able to reopen the show again. Um, yeah. And we're planning an exhibition. So our next exhibition, which we're really hoping we'll be able to open as well <laughs> in January, is focused on new American artists. Oh, and cool. so we're doing a, a residency with the Sanctuary Print Project, um, which is a, a collaborative endeavor by Sergio, Sergio Della Torre and Chris Tregari. Um, mm. And they engage in participatory printmaking, which is a little bit hard right now due to COVID. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they also do uh, public projects that are really about sharing the voices of immigrants. Um, and they're particularly concerned right now about the impact of COVID-19 on the immigrant community. So we'll be working with them on a residency. Um, we'll also have an exhibition in the main gallery space featuring artists, a uh, new American artists, contemporary artists. Um, and then the exhibition that we have coming in May is a, an exhibition called the Black Index, um, which is focused on African-American artists uh, drawing, um, uh, where mm. the drawing is really intended to be an alternative to uh, the photographic image um, okay. and really about African-American artists kind of asserting their own 
um, voice and um, identity. So that's going to feature Lava Thomas, who's a local artist, and also Titus Kafar, who you may know, um, got his start in San Jose. So Titus is an international art superstar at this point, um, who uh, did the really extraordinary portrait of George Floyd and his mother that was on the Time magazine cover. Um, And so he actually got his bachelor's degree at San Jose State. So many of us know Titus from back in those days. So yeah. he'll be part of the exhibition as well. So, um, so I cool. think looking looking at kind of equity from an internal perspective in terms of how do we diversify our staff um, as part of that initiative, we did some diversity, equity, inclusion, and access work on the staff level. But then it's also programming. So really looking yeah. at what we're doing in terms of our programming. We also have an exhibition coming up in the fall that's going to be focused on the art of disability culture, which we're really excited about. Cool. Um, so, so those are kind yeah. of two parts. Yeah, that's great. How do you balance then, you know, with the different venues that you have and programs that you have, cause you're teaching as well as, you know, gallery space. Um, how do you kind of match between local and national or international or regional artists? What's kind of like the way that you approach, approach that? Yeah, so it's just a kind of ongoing balance. And, you know, I think that there is a, there's an expectation that we're going to feature artists who are local, but also an expectation that we're going to bring artists from around the world to the community. So yeah. it's just trying to, uh, to figure out how to do that in a way that makes sense. And, you know, one way that we've done that is through thematic exhibitions. Um, yeah. So we try to shy away from single person shows um, and really look at uh, kind of engaging and accessible themes for our exhibitions that from which we can kind of uh, feature artists who are coming from a broad range of perspectives, local or, yeah. you know, beyond local. Yeah. Now, do you also run the Coverly center as well the the art studios over there that is part of the city of palo alto but not part of my program so the the city of palo alto has an amazing public art program which is led by um, my amazing colleague elise demarzo um, and a public art commission so they do public art and they run the coverly studio program yeah but i think that's what a great kind of connection that they have going on in palo alto with that with those artist studios as well as yeah. what you're doing from education. And yeah. yeah. And uh, so tell me a little quick shout out I'm, for um, Robin yeah, Mulberry, yeah. who is a current uh, Coverly artist and, and Robin initiated an exhibition that's actually up at the art center right now, which we had to prematurely close um, called holding it together, um, which is uh, Robin uh, was in a residency program that the art center started a few years ago for parent artists mm-hmm. in conjunction with an exhibition um, about the art of parent and these artists have continued to work together. So they proposed an exhibition at the Art Center that was um, uh, basically their work in response to parenting during a pandemic. Um, yeah, I was just going to ask you about yeah. that. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, no, this is great. Yeah, yeah. We had actually like, we canceled our fall shows because, you know, of course the whole experience for everyone is running a museum right now or, you yeah. know, some shelter in place was, can we open? Oh, it looks like we can open. Oh no, there's no way we can open. We're probably not going to be able to open at yeah. all. And, and yeah. so it was like back and forth, we canceled what we had planned for the fall. And then Robin reached out with this idea of maybe a virtual exhibition. And I was like, you know, we have an empty gallery. Yeah. So why don't you put, why don't we create the exhibition? And I don't know if we're going to be able to open, but at least it can exist in physical space. Um, yeah. And we were able to open for two weeks before we had to close. Yeah. So yeah, yeah the Coverly Artist Studio program is amazing and we collaborate with them in many different ways. Yeah, that's cool. So you have currently online um, holding it together. That's yeah. like parenting in COVID. And then also you did the kind of like the, Susan O'Malley posters about too. And what was kind of, so this is kind of adapting within COVID, right? So what have you done to adapt and tell me about those programs? Yeah. So, um, so during shelter in place, um, one of the things that happened, which was unfortunate is we had a giant um, Patrick Dougherty sculpture, uh, that was installed. Um, and we had actually, there was our second Patrick Dougherty sculpture. So Patrick Dougherty is a North Carolina artist who creates these giant kind of basket 
sculptures um, made of typically willow, but, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, sustainable material. And he had come up four years ago to create a piece, a site specific piece for us that was much beloved in the community. And yeah. We had done a crowdfunding campaign to support that work and um, people loved it. And those pieces have a finite life. And our previous piece had lasted for five years. I mean, five years is about, Patrick says, like the longest you can get out of them. And so over the summer, it started to kind of uh, lose its structural integrity. And it was clear, like, we need to... We need to, to to wood chip the piece, and that's what you do. It's completely natural, so you wood chip it, and then all the wood chips can go um, out in various garden areas. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so we needed to put something else in that place. I mean, it's certainly, you know, Embarcadero Road is such a major thoroughfare. It's it's not a really utilized grassy area, so it's like the perfect yeah. place to to do a project. And we collaborated with a public art program to. Um, essentially revisit a project we had done with Susan back in 2012. So when the art center reopened after a renovation project, um, I had worked with artists to create um, community engaged projects for an exhibition that was called Community Creates. Mm -hmm. So I had kind of worked to identify artists and then I worked with them to uh, think about a way that they would engage the community for a project that would exist at the art center. Um, And so Susan had this idea that she would interview a hundred people in the community and ask them, what advice would you give your eight-year-old self? And what advice would you give your 80-year-old self? And she found this like old school printer in Oakland, letterpress printer, who actually was then later featured in a New York Times article um, with illustrations by Wendy McNaughton. He's just super, super old school, this massive press. And he normally does like, you know, rodeo posters and stuff. (laughs) So she did this, this great poster run of the pieces and they lived at the art center and they also lived out in the community. And it was such a positive project and such a loved project. And it was a project that she continued. Um, and and um, the, there was a, a Chronicle Books published um, that project um, posthumously um, after she passed. Yeah. And so when I w- was thinking about, like, what could we do, um, I started to think about, wouldn't it be amazing to have Susan O'Malley posters out there? And so we started to talk to the estate about uh, how we might be able to do that. And interestingly, Villa Montalvo, or excuse me, the Montalvo Art Center yeah. had done a similar uh, billboard project with Susan's work. And so um, it was, I think the estate found it really interesting that there was this desire to kind of revisit Susan's work. We felt really strongly that the community needed Susan's work more than ever. Um, yeah. All that work was really about um looking inside to find resiliency and strength within yourself. Um, And also um, the ability, Susan talked about how she felt like people were really disconnected and this was a project that really connected people together. And so those were all things we were really thinking about. Yeah, that's cool. Now for how much do you, in your schedule, how much are you actually involved in the curation of a thing versus the budget <laughs> like you know like what how does your how does your time break down yeah so um so we have had curators at the art center we've had amazing staff members who've worked as curators we've also had periods where we haven't had that position and so when we haven't had that position i have taken a more active role um, mm-hmm. in that work. Um, and so unfortunately, we do not have that position currently. And so I'm, I've kind of, I think my role is more of like a creative director trying to find the right guest sure. curators to come in and, and do the projects that we want to see happen. Yeah, yeah. So then for you, for, uh, for the Art Center, for the Palo Alto Arts Center with this time of COVID. What, is, what does that mean for you guys programmatically, budget-wise? Um, we know that, of course, you have to close things and, you yeah. know, the in-person, yeah. But as far as, like, what does it look like for the, you know, the future yeah. <laughs> because yeah. of 
budget and stuff. Yeah. So, um, so the city of Palo Alto has faced some profound budget challenges. And so this yeah. year, the art center had to deal with the most significant budget cuts that we yeah. have ever had to deal with as an organization in our entire history. And um, it's been really challenging. I mean, I've been at the organization for 11 years and really kind of have been working to build up programs and support. And, um, I had to let people go and it was, awful. Uh, yeah. Yeah. it was really awful. And so, um, uh, but at the same time, you know, we were feeling like the need for what we were doing was more important than ever. Yeah. And so, um, and, 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 I think that that has really helped to kind of fuel me um, in the ongoing work during a period that was really dark around how are we going to continue to operate with a significantly reduced staff. Yeah. But it was getting this feedback from the community that they needed us to do what we could. And then getting yeah. the feedback that when we started doing virtual programs, the amazing positive response that we received, um, you know, it just kept us going. Um, and I think yeah. it's really um, was really important. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I really do feel like the community needs what we provide. Um, and I think I know that the community would love us to be able to offer classes indoors, which we can't. Um, but, um, even what we've been able to provide in terms of outdoor classes has been really transformational for people. Um, yeah. for a lot of our community who are sheltering in place, you know, the virtual programs that we've been offering have been really valuable. Yeah. My cat Dante is very vocal about this. <laughs> it's okay. His entire right. life has been sheltering in place. Right, exactly. They don't know any difference. Yeah, yeah. So what what have you learned uh, about yourself personally during um, kind of this time, this COVID time? Yeah, you know, you sent that question and I was like, oh. <laughs> it's like super hard. Um, and I just, you know, I feel like, I, you know, it sounds just super trite to say this, but, and I'm sure like a lot of it, 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 I, it I mean, I'm not super happy with my response, but I, I kind of, I do feel like I am, uh, you know, surprised by my own resiliency. Sure. Right. Yeah. And, you know, and so I, I kind of I've learned that I could be more resilient um, than I thought it could be. Um, but I also feel like, you know, it I'm just amazed at the resiliency of like everyone. Um, yeah. And yeah. I think that, um, you know, this has been such a difficult time for everyone. And, um, you know, I just worked on the appeal letter for the Art Center Foundation, and it talks about, you know, some people have been impacted much more than others, yeah. but we've all been impacted. And I can't really remember an experience like this where um, we're all dealing with stuff as a result. And there's this kind yeah. of sense of kind of collective, um, you know, it, I mean, it fluctuates. It's like sometimes it's like collective grief and sometimes it's collective yeah. celebration, but we're all dealing with stuff. And yeah. that has been really, um, really amazing. I was listening to an artist um, conversation with um, Hank Willis Thomas, who mm. um, is an artist that um, I showed at the Desa Museum many years ago. And he's a, does extraordinary work and had a one person show that went to Crystal Bridges that I was actually hoping to see um, this fall. But he talked about um, this this period has been a great awakening. Um, and it, I think it's a really interesting, I just keep, I like wrote that down and I keep thinking about that. Like, yeah. you know, this idea around, certainly around equity, um, uh, but I think also kind of political awakening. Also, I think yeah. just a, um, just a uh, an awakening around, you know, the kind of political divide and around um, inequities um, and also kind of just, oh, just so many like different kind of permutations yeah. of that. Yeah. 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 It's kind of when you, when you're able to kind of like, when we can, you know, silence the noise, the, the real kind of issues start to, to bubble up. Mm -hmm. I think that's the, right. That's part of the difficulty of shelter in place is because your distractions are taken away either from food, dance, music, even going to galleries, whatever it could be, friends, 
then you start to have to <laughs> sit with yourself a little bit, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Although, I mean, I must say for, um, for those who have kids, I mean, I don't have children at home, but many yeah, of my team members do. And yeah. um, I, I mean, they, they, they're not sitting with themselves. <laughs> they're sitting no. with all children trying to do zoom education and oh, uh, yeah. it's really intense. And so, I mean, maybe this is kind of an, I mean, I think for a lot of people, it's kind of trying to figure out like what is working with, with education. Certainly. I mean, with my students, I'm trying to figure out like, is Zoom working? I don't know. know? I mean, there there are benefits and challenges to Zoom, um, but yeah. 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 So then, so kind of taking off uh, Susan O'Malley's, what's, what's some advice that you would give to your (laughs) eight-year-old self? Oh my gosh. Um, Oh goodness, that's really hard. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, I, I think to to have hope. Um, mm, yeah. You know, I think that yeah, to to have hope, and and I, I think also just just in terms of you know what museums are are going to need to deal with um, the fact that that so many museums, like most of, I mean, the entire state of California almost is in purple, and as a result, yeah. museums in the state are closed and. Um, And I think it's having hope that we're going to be able to reopen and we're going to be different, but we're going to be okay. Um, And, um, you know, I think I was probably hopeful as an eight-year-old, but to remind (laughs) myself that, like, be hopeful, um, not like in a Pollyanna way, not in an unrealistic way, but to be hopeful that things are going to be better. Um, And, you know, I think actually it was... Uh, Connie Martinez was talking about how, you know, this idea of not a new normal, but like a better normal um, yeah. in terms of some of the conversations that um, arts leaders in Silicon Valley are having. And and I, I, I like that idea. Um, I have yeah. hope for a better normal. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And then what would you say to um, your 80 year old self? It, you, you tried. You, you did okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. You made it to 80. <laughs> yeah. and, and you did okay. You know, um, uh, there's one of the posters is like, uh, um, good job. <laughs> one of the yeah, right? posters, right? You had a, you had a good life. Good job. You know, I, I, I like that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing I've been noticing as I get older is that I think the younger conquering the world and the dragons has faded away to be like, wow, like I can be content in a good job done on something that's made an impact yes. maybe with a few people rather than thinking I have to conquer the whole world, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Well, you are doing a great job. You're, you're a 20-year-old self right now. Um, the advice that I would give you is that you guys are doing a great job. I love what's happening at the Palo Alto Arts Center and what you guys are doing and and, you know, from the shows that you're doing, the classes in this program. So thank you for what you do to give, you know, voice to the community, creative voice to the community. Well, thank you for everything that you're doing to enhance the um, creative life of Silicon Valley. Really appreciate it. Sure. Yeah. Go team. (laughs) Okay. Thanks. Thank you. Bye. Find out more about the Palo Alto Art Center from their Instagram at Palo Alto Art Center or go to the City of Palo Alto's website. Thank you for listening to the Content Magazine podcast. Follow us on social media at Content Mag. Visit our website to become a member and help us to continue to tell the stories of the local creatives. This episode's music is Time Alone by Mild Monk. Follow him on Spotify and also on his Instagram at Mild Monk Music.